welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intelligence, forecast, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us today. Well, we have a great subject today. We're going to talk about retail and retail real estate. We have some great guests. We're going to cover a lot of aspects of retail and retail real estate. My first guest is Jim Costello. He's Senior Vice President with Real Capital Analytics, and he's joining us on Skype. Jim, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Well, we appreciate you being on. And so tell us about uh, retail property sales. It seems like it's been kind of a hot sector, even though some people seem to be a little nervous about it. There's a lot of properties doing well. What do you see for sales volume? Yeah, there's some mixed signals in the market. You look at uh, the trends in deal volume sort of on a year-over-year basis. And by mid-year, when all our final numbers are in, we think we may be anywhere from 20 to 25% lower than we were than we saw in the first half of 2015. So you see that kind of decline and uh, concerned. At the same time, average monthly deal volume through May of this year totaled 6.1 billion. That's an elevated level. If you look at every month since 2000, you know, we've averaged around 3 billion per month. So in some respects, you know, what we see here is just a bit of a pullback from an unusual situation in 2015 but still an elevated level of activity. Okay, so it's still a very healthy volume of sales, which you, I guess you would expect with kind of the opportunities in retail and, and these low interest rates, right? Yeah, 2015, part of the story there uh, was that you had these mega deals, a, a lot of portfolio and entity level sales. Those happened uh, easily in part because of the low interest rates, uh, easy finance environment. And you know, as that started to evolve late into 2015, uh, with you know some uncertainty in the CMBS market, a little more challenging to finance uh, bigger transactions, that stuff pulled back a bit. The sale of individual buildings, you know, where an investor is underwriting one building at a time, and you know, based on the quality of the tenants and the cash flow of that one building, transaction trends aren't off as much there. Uh, again. Final mid-year 2016 numbers aren't ready yet, but we think we'll be down anywhere from 15 to 20 percent from year earlier on that single asset sale stuff. So it's it's less uh, severe of a pullback there. And you mentioned lenders being a little more cautious uh, than they have in the most recent years. So what what are you sensing there? What are you guys seeing? Are 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 lenders pulling back loan to value ratios? Are they being a little more picky? It's a bit of a mix. There are some lenders that are being more aggressive. There are some lenders that are, are, are pulling back. Uh, there were comments uh, by the uh, Comptroller of the Currency yesterday talking about the local and regional banks that they regulate, uh, expressing some concerns about uh, you know, the uh, changes in underwriting standards by those uh, local and regional banks. Not on the things like you know, LTV, but more about other covenants in, in the loans and you know, maybe take on a little bit of construction lending that may not be appropriate for some of these banks at this stage in the cycle. So they're a little bit worried on that side about some of the aggression of, of those uh, local banks. But then the CMBS market on the other extreme, you know, with the new changes in regulatory burdens, uh, some uncertainty in how those are going to be uh, uh, implemented, the CMBS lenders have pulled back except for some of the highest quality stuff. And, and so you've got you know, a, a little bit of a, a mix in, in that. And so you've seen a bit of a changing landscape this year 
for who's doing a lot of lending. CMBS had been uh, on a tear in the last couple of years in terms of getting back to where we were, uh, you know, taking advantage of you know the the economies of scale that these lenders had. But you know, this so far this year, CMBS lending is down. Right, and you know, and the financing pullback uh, will always impact uh, values, right? And and sales volume and and cap rates. We're talking with Jim Costello with Real Capital Analytics about retail property investment sales, and so how is that impacting cap rates? You know, so far it hasn't. Uh, eventually, it might. You know, we, we saw a bit of an increase in mortgage rates early in 2016. In response to the shocks in the CMBS markets, uh, where where lending rates went up, uh, but cap rates hadn't changed yet. So, uh, in part, you get an adjustment there in terms of lower deal volume. Some of the deals that may not have made sense at the prevailing cap rates probably just didn't happen. That's another reason why deal volume's down. It's not as though the current owners of assets are being forced to sell. You know, if they can't get the pricing that they want, they'll just sit on the sidelines for now. Uh, you know, the, the, so that that's one of the challenges that we have here. So when things do sell, it's still at uh, record low cap rates. You know, when we when we look at uh, uh, those, you know, we're, we're total retail for mid year 2016 is probably going to be around 6.3 percent nationally, and that's that's uh, a record low on on retail cap rates. Okay, and that's basically retail properties over five million dollars, uh, all classes across the U.S. Two point five million and up. Two point five million and up. Okay. So, yeah. So, and and there's all kinds of variation within there. Uh, you look at, uh, you know, the six major markets in the United States. You know, the average in these cities, you know, the priciest cities, you're on average around five point five percent, and even within these cities, so the urban high street locations are going to post uh, even lower cap rates. Um, but you know, some of the average cap rates uh, that are kind of the highest are you know, kind of the strip center retail, uh, you know, either anchored or unanchored. You know, you're closer to 7% nationally there. You know, those, are, those are assets where you know, the economic justification to be in some of those is not what it was at 10 uh, even five years ago, given challenges from the internet, um, but then the stuff where there's sort of a day in, day out need or some experiential benefit for the for that asset, that would be say, grocery anchored retail or you know maybe lifestyle centers. You know their cap rates nationally are closer to six and a half percent. Right, and our listeners are really. Uh, commercial real estate people, right? They understand that cap rates are going to vary maybe on a property across the street from another one that's a similar class. And But one of the things I want to ask you while I have you here um, is you guys at RC Analytics track all property types all across the country. So are you seeing more foreign investment yet into the U.S.? You know, you have the, the Brexit situation, you have uh, for up to changes in the in the tax uh, uh, situations for these uh, investors, so is it impacting the market yet? It's too early for it to impact the U.S. market. Uh, it, it was only a couple weeks ago when we had the Brexit move. Uh, you know, we've we've seen some uh, movements in the U.K. in terms of uh, some of the open end funds starting to mark down the value of their assets to shut down their redemption queues. Uh, but other than that, there's not a lot of 
signaling in the marketplace in, in terms of transaction activity. Uh, you know, this is not like going to uh, uh, buy a bushel of soybeans in Chicago, right? right. Uh, it doesn't happen in an instant. It, it takes a while for price discovery in commercial real estate, and you know it's it's uh, sometime into you know uh, midsummer or uh, late summer rather. We'll have uh, a, a clearer picture there. Right. Okay. That said, mm-hmm. before any of this Brexit stuff, the United States was still growing in importance as a destination for cross-border capital. Uh, if you look historically, uh, it, the United States was not receiving as much of, of the capital that made that decision to go across the border. Uh, and yeah, But they had steadily grown in the last few years, and it's such that you know, we had been the top destination globally for cross-border investment in, in 2015. Uh, so you, know, you look at that sort of trend that's been happening, and you look at one of the safe harbor locations, uh, London, suddenly not you know, uh, looking so great as, as a location anymore. I would not be surprised if we saw uh, an additional influx of foreign capital throughout the rest of 2016. It's and, and it's it can feel hard to think of that sometimes when you're sitting here in the United States, because you look at all the problems we've got in terms of some challenges in the job market. You know, some social turmoil, political turmoil, but this is still one of the best, safest, most productive parts of the world. And you know, for you know, all the challenges we have here, there's many more opportunities and you know, other uh, global locations, the investors really realize that. Yeah, well said. Well, Jim, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being on the show. No problem. Thank you. And stay tuned. We'll have more on retail and retail real estate, including some tips for retailers and landlords. Stay with us. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. But today we're talking retail and retail real estate. Please welcome my next guest. I have Mitch Rochelle. He's the U.S. real estate practice leader with PwC. And I have Stephen Barr. He's the U.S. retail and consumer leader with PwC. They're both joining us on the phone today. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Michael. Hello. Hey, thanks for being with us. And uh, Stephen, if you could start us out, you know, how are retail sales uh, tracking this year? Where are we? Yeah, you you know, there's really not one answer, and it depends on the category. We're seeing some tremendous growth online, and we're also seeing some tremendous growth in the categories that are appealing to the consumer. Yet we're also seeing department stores and especially fashion apparel retailers struggle in-store. So it's, it's a tale of engaging with the consumer and staying relevant. Right. So you talked about growth in online. How fast is it growing, and has that trend changed any lately? Yeah, what we've seen, some some of the leading categories where we're starting to see the numbers stabilize, again, those um, 
retailers and online retailers that have compelling offers, we're actually seeing growth still in the 30, 40% range. But I think, you know, most others we're seeing double digit growth, but uh, again, starting, starting to normalize as that base gets larger, you know, it's harder to get a larger percentage growth, um, you know, over, over time. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Well, what about consumer income and consumer confidence? What do you see there? Yeah, it's really a tale of two stories. We call, um, we, we break the shopper down into two categories, what we call survivalist and selectionist. <laughs> okay. And the selectionists continue to, to have the means and the resources to really do what they want. But those shoppers that we call the survivalist are continuing to struggle. We're not seeing wage growth. And, um, you know, there's just a level of uncertainty in, in the marketplace. So that selectionist shopper is being very careful with their spend. So the selectionist, so that's the people buying, you know, things they don't have to need. So that's not the drugstore sales. That's, that's not the necessities. That's outspending some extra money, right? That's right. And, and then the, the survivalist, you know, they're, they're thinking about, you know, every dollar they spend. And, uh, look, there's a lot of uncertainty out there right now, um, some volatility, um, you know, in the capital markets. And while that ordinarily doesn't impact that um, survivalist, it, it, it gets into their mindset. We're entering, you know, th- this election period and um, without making any political statements, just, you know, who knows what, what's about to come. So all of these things just, um, you know, are, are in shoppers' minds. And uh, we've seen that selectionist or that survivalist shopper, excuse me, you know, really be very careful in, in how and where they're spending their money. Okay. Well, now I get it because my wife's a selectionist and I'm a survivalist. <laughs> now I get <laughs> That's it. That's probably true for many of us. <laughs> now, what about consumer income? Do consumers have a little more money to spend? You know, there's a there's a little bit of, of wage growth, but it's 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 modest. And and the the way I often talk about this is, you know, in in most of our um, major urban centers, you know, families are struggling to address the cost of living. So, if we all just have a few percent more, especially if if we're in the survivalist category, certainly a few percentage. Um, uh, points more in, in our annual income helps, but it's just not closing the gap between the overall cost of living and, um, you know, the wage base. So we continue to see that, that survivalist shopper struggling. I see. And what about the millennials? I mean, are they creating more households? Are we having, you know, more people out shopping? Yeah, well, it's, it's a great question. And what we're seeing both with millennials and Gen Z, we, we hear a lot of folks talking about experiences over things. But I, I actually read a, a very interesting release um, this week, uh, analyst report from um, Bank of America, and they, they did a deep dive into credit card data, and they really proved what we've seen in a lot of surveys, including our own surveys at PwC's, PwC, where um, the millennials are saying they, they, they crave experiences over things. But what this Bank of America study did, it, it actually validated based on the credit card data that that is indeed the, the, the way things are going. We're seeing a shift to health and wellness. Um, you know, Lord knows we see a lot of folks out there in, in their active wear. And, but we're also seeing um, the consumer, especially the millennial, to your question, 
out their um, restaurants and spending time with their friends, and that's become a, a very important part of their lifestyle and culture. Well, that uh, figures because, you know, they got to get off of Facebook and off their uh, laptops and their phones, right? And they're looking for to interact with people for a change, right? Well, they're all out there following Mitch Rochelle, right? <laughs> That's right, Mitch. Mitch are out there following you. So what does this mean for retailers uh, and their landlords? Well, to, can you guys hear me okay? Yes. Okay. To pivot to the landlords for a second, if you look at all this change, and I'm going to call it disruption that's going on sort of inside the box, um, and the segmentation of the, the buyers, the shoppers, the retail industry needs to pivot pretty hard to figure out how to keep that box relevant and how to create an experience inside the box that's not dissimilar to the experience that they have when they're shopping with their, their tablet or their, their smartphone. And that's the real challenge. The, if you think about the physical plant of a retail establishment, moving walls, changing the design isn't exactly a nimble exercise. And one of the things that landlords are struggling with is the pace of change in retail, the pace of change that uh, the consumer is expecting, and how they can keep up. I sort of metaphorically think of them sort of running on a treadmill and not going anywhere as they continue to try to evolve um, and remain relevant relative to their sort of digital peers of online shopping. Yeah, it seems like retail is, is changing pretty quickly. But, but Stephen, retailers do have a lot of analytics now, don't they, that uh, they can go by to adjust what they're doing? Yeah, they re- they really do. Although I I I think and uh, that's true on on data and analytics because the the retailers have very old systems and and some of them are are investing and and getting in on the front end um, and and have that data, but others are really just talking about it because they they don't have the data and the system. So I think it's a little bit more talk than it is than it is reality today. Um, and you know, building off of, of what Mitch said, you know, I would tell you that the the retailers really have to transform those boxes that we've talked about. They have to surprise and delight the consumer. If they're going to, um, you know, just stay where they've been, they're going going to continue to struggle. I often talk about the fact that I think we have a retailer problem, not a retail problem, and that's because the retailers are just executing so poorly at the store level. So again, they need to up their game and surprise and delight the consumer. And and one thing to stick on the landlord topic, I think the landlord is a counterparty to the retailer in terms of one's a landlord and one's a tenant. However, if you look at the way retail leases are structured with the percentage rent clause, they're really partners to some degree. And I think as retailers struggle to figure out how to remain relevant, I think there needs to be more collaboration between landlord and tenant around solving that problem together. Yeah, yeah, those are good points. And we're going to take a short break. We're going to talk about some more tips for retailers and for retail landlords and investors. So stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Are you interested in the senior housing industry? Well, you're invited to attend the third annual Interface Senior Housing Southeast Conference. It will be August 24th and 25th in Atlanta at the Westin Buckhead. For more information, visit CREshow.com.
Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull, and today we're talking retail with Mitch Rochelle and Stephen Barr. They're both with PwC. And, and Stephen, we talked about how the uh, retailers are being impacted in the sales. So what does that mean for the, re- the landlords? How are these, some of these various properties uh, performing? Are, are, are malls performing better than, than uh, retail strip centers, or what do you see? Yeah, what, it, what it's really become is uh, turning the properties into destinations. What we've seen is uh, some of those traditional anchors transforming into alternative formats to pull the shoppers in. We, and, and so um, as we've talked about experiences, the landlords are looking to just have those extraordinary moments. And, and I recently visited... Um, you know the grand opening of of a wonderful concept in in New York Perch, and um, if if you've seen the concept, it, it's fantastic. And if you haven't seen it, just let me tell you briefly. You get an immersion into your home, and when you're there, it, it's a place where you want to be. You want to spend time. You want your home to be just like that. And I use that as a great example to tell you. The, the store operators and the landlords really need to create these destinations that crave our attention and our time. Right, that's a good point. And uh, and all this change in, in retail, uh, you start to wonder, well, how are the public markets doing? How are, how are the retail REITs performing, Mitch? So let's, let me give you a little bit of data. This may be the data portion of the show. So all equity REITs uh, had a total return through June. This is all NAREIT data of little under 13.5%. The retailers, though, in total outperformed that, uh, the retail REITs, rather, at a little over 16%, with the big um, standout being freestanding. So the question is why? And what happened in the first half of the year and there's a little bit of a carry-on from what happened last year, is people started running away from REITs because they viewed them as what I'll call fixed-income alternatives. People who bought REITs bought it because they were chasing yield, and they were looking for an alternative to bonds because bonds weren't delivering the income that they needed. And what they found was that the, the investor behavior, even our REITs are equities, investors were behaving about REITs as if they were investing directly in a bond. So when interest rates were going up and the Fed finally made its move, investors started pulling back from the REIT asset class. And I would say that they did it not knowing what the first two letters of REIT stood for, which was real estate, and they were focused in, in sort of almost entirely on the I, okay, which is the investment and not really the real estate. And they were thinking it was really this sort of um, you know, cash register of cash flow. So what happened was they were oversold and investors came back in. So uh, all of that's a long-winded way of saying that the performance and the total return of REITs has more to do with prices going up because money came back into them because money realized that the fundamentals for real estate actually remain very strong, notwithstanding some of the headwinds that exist in um, the retail space, the, the fundamental business makes sense, well-tenanted properties and so forth. If any sector was sort of oversold in the REIT space, it was probably retail. So when money came back in, that's why the prices have, uh, have bounced back. So it's really kind of a good story. And like anything with liquid markets, um, they can tend to be overbought and oversold. I think we're sort of now at the point where um, we're back in more of an equilibrium mode. 
Well, Mitch, if you will, look into your crystal ball there. I know you have one at PwC. So. It's murky. My crystal ball, Michael, is murky. Um, I think it, it, it's going to have a lot to do, Michael, for the balance of the year with rates, to be quite honest with you, um, because there's still a component of investors and REITs that are very, very focused on the income component, and in that REITs have to pay out dividends to shareholders, and they really don't have the ability to retain earnings like other dividend-paying companies, you find that there's going to be a play. The other thing that's important to know for the rest of the year with REIT stock performance is that in times of market volatility, investors tend to rotate, rotate into income-producing assets like dividend-paying stocks and a, as a defense mechanism. So I think that there'll be potential capital flows into REITs because of the defensive nature of the, uh, the dividend. So they should perform well. But let's get to the real estate piece. The underlying performance of real estate still remains strong. And as retailers figure out what to do inside those boxes, as we talked about uh, earlier in this segment and the previous segment, um, I think the fundamentals will remain strong. Well, that's good. So it sounds like you're bullish on uh, retail REITs and unowned retail in general. Michael. I mean, I, I couldn't be bearish. It's not the commercial real estate show with the host, Michael Bear. It's Michael Bull. That's right. That's right. Well, it's interesting because we've had this show now since uh, 2010, and certainly in 2010, uh, all the news wasn't uh, all rosy. So I know you tell it like it is, and we tell it like it is. And we're going to take a short break, and we're going to tell it more like it is. We're going to talk some more about retail real estate and retailers, uh, including the investment market. And Is it time to sell while the market is hot? Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. You're watching and listening to The Commercial Real Estate Show. First Service Solutions, your CMBS borrower advocate. For requests, assumptions, consulting, and restructuring, call First Service Solutions at 817-756-7227. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today, we're talking retail with Mitch Rochelle and Stephen Barr. They're both with PwC. And Mitch, uh, before the break, you mentioned that the REIT outlook might depend a little bit on what interest rates do. So what is your outlook? What does your crystal ball say about interest rates moving forward? It's likely that we'll continue to see uh, rates go up, meaning central bank, Fed moving rates up. The interesting thing is, look at where the the tenure now is. It's at historical lows. Um, so, and if you look at the economic data that's coming out, you know, virtually every day, I closely track housing and, and a lot of other economic indicators. The, the, overwhelmingly, it's more good news than bad news. You can find bad news in, in any data point. So I think the Fed's going to have uh, an abundance of um, news that's more positive than negative and consider pretty heavily uh, continuing down the path of raising rates. But as history, recent history showed us, raising rates uh, from the discount rate doesn't necessarily translate to the Treasury curve moving up. Right. So here we are at July of 2016 as we as we do this show today. So if you had to guess, what would you look at maybe uh, interest rates, Fed's rates uh, a year from now? I would say we, we have a chance of another 25 basis points uh, in the calendar year. 
and maybe another 25 basis points. Uh, so let's say 50 basis points um, over the next uh, 12 months or so. The problem is we also have an election between now and then, so we could find a new chair of the Fed, which may mean we're starting from scratch again. Um, so we'll see. But I think the economy can certainly handle 50 basis points of, uh, of tick up in the discount rate. Right. And you mentioned the election. So do you think the election results, um, you know, Hillary versus Trump, would have any impact on retail or retail real estate or commercial real estate? You know, one thing we can tell you, because we've taken a look at it from a real estate perspective, and I can't comment on retail, Steve can, perhaps, but we've looked at about 25 years of, almost 30 years of U.S. history in terms of uh, election outcomes and the performance of real estate based upon data that's out there that far from real estate perspective. And there's no trend in terms of uh, how real estate is performed with uh, red or blue or Republicans or Democrats or anything. Um, the things that are moving the economy and market seem to be independent of um, election outcomes per se. So I would say history is going to repeat itself and there's not going to be anything in the near term that an election result is going to move the needle from real estate perspective. Um, the economy and taxes and other things that will be debated may have a impact, but the election and real estate I would say no connection. Yeah, and Mitch, Mitch, we've done the same on the on the retail side. We've looked for trends um, in prior elections, and we just haven't been able to see any meaningful movement driven by the election um, themselves. Well, that's interesting because I guess it really depends more on uh, consumer confidence, right, and income levels, and uh, the job market than it really does you know, who's who's the president, right? Right. So where are there opportunities, gentlemen? Um, you talked about, you know, uh, you're bullish on the retail market. Is it time to sell? Is it time to buy? Where are some opportunities? Yeah. Uh, hey, Mitch, if it's okay, I'll jump in and then maybe sure. you can follow. Sure. What, well, I, I won't speak whether it's a great time to get in from an investment standpoint or not, but what I can tell you is from a retail perspective, you know, we're often talking about the battle with the, with the online retailers. But the store-based retailers have a tremendous asset, and we're starting to see the leading retailers leverage that asset into a strategic advantage in competing against the, the online-only players. And so while we've heard the term omnichannel for a number of years, we're finally starting to see the execution at, at the true omnichannel level. So I'm actually very optimistic that the leading store-based retailers are going to be able to take that strategic asset and use it to their advantage. But they do have to give that compelling store offering that I've talked about earlier. So I think there's a lot of upside, but it's all going to get to whether the retailers execute. So, Stephen, you think that a lot of these stores, a lot of these retailers then have moved a little slow uh, in this process to take advantage of online, and that's where they have opportunities to kind of pick up that pace? Yeah, they've not only um, moved very slowly, but they haven't been as strategic around leveraging the asset they, they have. Um, they're, they're located, you know, in, in many convenient, well-placed locations, and they have to make sure they're leveraging that to their advantage. Folks still like to go to the store, and folks still like to um, engage and, and browse and do the things that, that shoppers do. 
um, but they just have to give the, the shopper the reason to come into the store, and, and we're starting to see that. We're also starting to see it on the on the distribution side um, to be a strategic advantage for you know same day or or very quick shipping. Okay, and before you guys have to go, uh, Mitch, I have to ask you about your new show. Tell us about Seven Day Yield. So uh, maybe imitation is the greatest form of flattery, Michael. But uh, to to say that you were and that you didn't play a role in inspiring me to do it uh, would wouldn't be fair to you. So uh, we created a show in PwC called Seven Day Yield because it comes out uh, once a week. Uh, it's about a fifteen to. Um, minutes show or so and we bring guests on from thought leaders from within pwc like steven talking about retail um and also some of our clients and we really try to tackle every week topics of interest to um anywhere from the consumer to business insiders about the asset and wealth management space financial services sector and any sort of broader areas about things that are moving the economy so we're three weeks in uh, if you want to find us the best way to do it is hashtag seven day yield the number seven day yield and uh, we'll uh, be right. doing more there. And, uh, Michael, gentlemen, uh, thanks for the plug. Great, gentlemen. Thanks for being on the show, and stay tuned. We'll have more for you right after this break. Excelligen, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Well, if you want to buy or sell some retail properties or any kind of property, you may want some resources to do that. So please welcome my next guest, Mike DiGiorgio. He's CEO of Crexy. And Crexy is a site that can help you find properties, market properties, and organize the process. Uh, Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Mike, tell us the, uh, the, the quick explanation of uh, Crexy. Yeah, so Crexy was a platform where we saw, you know, ways I think in the market to bring technology to the commercial real estate broker, to the buyer, to the owner, um, and bring some transparency and some liquidity to that market. Um, it's a platform where you can quickly disseminate information to your buyers, where you can report back to your owner on the marketing that's been done. Uh, there's marketing tools where you can track marketing. Um, it's really an all-in-one system uh, to take the entire transaction uh, process and bring it into and bring technology to it to bring it into the 21st century. Okay, so if a listener or viewer is looking to buy commercial properties, they can go to Crexy.com and, and look at some available properties. That's right. So there's uh, we've had about 2,500 properties already on the site. Uh, we've only been around for about six months. Uh, we're a venture-backed startup uh, for more or less um, for the better or worse. Uh, we do have some very very. Um, high-quality commercial real estate developers who kind of helped us start this in the beginning. Um, and we've kind of relied on our broker partners from all the major broker shops to help us build each feature. Um, so we started talking to some of our most favorite and most respected brokers in the country and asked them which parts of their day can we make easier. Uh, we'd have them in our office and we'd talk through different ways of bringing technology around that process and we were able to create something pretty special uh, that's caught on fairly quick. Well, great. Well, if you'd have called me and asked me what part of the day you could help me out with that had been waking up, getting out of bed, and getting to the gym. <laughs> so, so tell yes, me, so as a broker, um, what would be the great benefits of Craxy that I'd want to go check it out? 
Yeah, I mean, as a broker, it's, I mean, to start, we are uh, offering our service for free. Um, it's a way to quickly get your piece of property that you're looking to sell out to a, a mass amount of buyers throughout the world. Um, to start seeing real time as people visit your property page, as people want to look at your due diligence, who wants to see your due diligence and who's looking at your due diligence. Uh, it's a way to show this information back to your owner. Uh, it's a way to send marketing campaigns out to your buyer list and see the open rates and who you know went through then and, and took it to the next step and maybe made an offer or opened an offer memorandum. Uh, if you wanted to run a best and final, if you have a number of buyers that are interested in your property, uh, you can run a best and final through our system. You can counter the offers that come in. Um, there's analytics real time that shows you know, one click reporting where you can send a nice Excel sheet to your owner uh, that lays out who you've spoken to, how much time they've spent looking at the deal. Uh, we're really bringing just real time kind of transparency and real time um, activity to commercial real estate. That's great. And so you've sold some retail properties uh, on the platform already? Oh, we have. We've had about 200 properties uh, either closed or under contract currently, uh, just over a billion dollars worth. Uh, that's just on the retail side. Uh, we have taken over $10 billion of listings through the site uh, with all the top broker shops in the country. Um, and, and we're continually getting tons of offers coming in on each of these deals. Uh, buyers really like the system. They know the LOI goes straight to the broker, straight to the owner. Um, they know they're going to get a chance to compete with other buyers in the country. Um, yeah, it's, it's been exciting. We've, I, you know, shockingly already had a couple billion, almost two billion sell, um, and, and billions on the site right now for sale. So it's, uh, it's been exciting times the last six months and it's growing fast. Well, that's excellent. There's certainly a lot of technology hitting the market. And I think in commercial real estate world, we've needed it. So Mike, thanks for doing that. And thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having us, Michael. We appreciate it. If you'd like for more information about Crexy, visit Crexy at C-R-E-X-I dot com. It is an interesting site. It has a lot of tools and resources and uh, and some properties to buy. And uh, once you see properties there, if you want to buy them, give me a call. Right? <laughs> I'll help you I'll help you analyze them and buy them. And we do appreciate that you listening to the show or watching the show on YouTube or the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Be sure to join us next week. We're going to talk about the industrial market. Market, which has also been an exciting sector. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Excelligent, building data everywhere. Valuate. Easily share what-if analysis with colleagues online. And First Service Solutions, your CMBS borrower advocate. For more information on how these businesses may be of service to you, visit CREshow.com.